0: Good morning, Active Church. It is so good to see you this morning. Everybody feeling good? You, you, you doing well? And thanks for singing. Thank you for joining us in that moment of worshiping God. And I'm so grateful for this team, Michaela, James, Tina, and the entire team leading us in worship today. Can we just say thank you one more time to each of them? Hey, my name is Mike. If we haven't met yet, I serve on the team here at Active Church. And if this is your first Sunday with us, what a gift it is to have you a part of the story that God is writing here at Active Church. There's a place called Guest Central out in the lobby. Can't miss it. Big sign says Guest Central. We have a free gift for you. It's just our way of saying thank you for being here today. We would love to put a face with a name. And we believe that showing up today is the beginning of your better story. And this community is a a community that tells some really great stories together. And so I wanna invite you to give us some time and, and, and be here with us because I'm believing that God is up to something In you, and God wants to do something through you in the lives of others. So stop by Guest Central, say hi to our team, let our team say hi to you, and get yourself a free gift. Hey, before we dive into the conversation today, I want to point your attention to something that we're doing next week. We're beginning a brand new series next week called Who Needs God? And that feels like a question, but for a lot of people in our world, A lot of people in the United States, a lot of people in California, and a lot of people in our city have turned that question into a statement. And they've said, who who needs God? Because for the last few years, what we've seen is a lot of people walk away from their faith and walk away from God. But here's what's interesting about stories of deconstruction, about stories of people walking away, is that almost every time they share their story about walking away, It's never about walking away from God because he's unappealing or walking away from God because he's unloving. Almost every time somebody chooses to walk away from faith or walk away from God, it's for different reasons altogether, reasons that don't even include God. And so, over the next few weeks, we're going to explore those reasons. And over the next few weeks, we're going to explore what it means for us as followers of Jesus to follow Jesus and what it might mean for you if you're somebody that has thought about walking away or has decided to walk away, what it would mean for you to consider or maybe reconsider following Jesus. And I'm believing that at the end of this conversation, that statement will be turned back into a question and we'll ask, who needs God? And I think the answer that we'll come to is perhaps we all do. And so I hope that you'll come and sit with us next week. Each of the messages in this series will build upon each other. So being in the room or watching online would be really, really important because each will connect to each other. And I know that there is probably somebody in this room or somebody watching online that needs this conversation. I also know that perhaps somebody that you know and that you love needs this conversation. And so this would be a really great time for you to extend an invitation, to send a text message to a friend or family member and say, hey, would you come and sit with me next week at Active as we begin this conversation? I think it'll be helpful and hopeful. And I think we'll discover at the end of this conversation that God is gonna do a holy work in all of us. So who needs God begins next week. I wanna pause for a moment and pray some words over you before we dive into the story of God and read the scriptures together. So if you would, let me pray some words over you. Heavenly Father, what a gift it is to be a part of the kingdom of God and to have the kingdom of God live within us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for what it means to be able to tell better stories because of Jesus. And I pray today that this conversation would stir up in us something that hasn't been awakened yet. Stir up in us a conviction that we need to experience. Stir up in us an encouragement that we desperately need. Stir up in us hope that maybe perhaps we haven't experienced yet or felt in a long time. And may you be honored in everything that we say and everything that we do. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. And together we say amen and amen and amen. Over the last few weeks, we've been in this series called XO and we've been sharing relationship help for every relationship because let's be honest, relationships are hard. We want to get them right and we need a little bit of help, right? And so over the last few weeks, we've been sharing relational tools for your relational tool belt. You didn't know you had a tool belt, but you do. And we were giving you relational tools for your tool belt so that you can be better in relationship. And if you've missed any of those conversations, they're all available on our website, activechurches.com. Just click the watch link and you can get caught up. The entire service is there, so you'll be able to experience everything we did that Sunday. So if you missed, you can check that out after service today. But each of these relational tools are to help us to be better. Because Who doesn't wanna be better in relationship? Who doesn't wanna be better in life? Who doesn't wanna be better at life? And so these conversations have been so helpful and so hopeful for all of us. And I appreciate the gift that you give me and our team by sharing the stories of what God has been doing in you and through you over the last few weeks. We've had conversations with men and women who have been married for years and years and years. I think they invented marriage because they've been married so long, right? And then we even had conversations with those that are teenagers that have been inspired and stirred up by these conversations. Everybody wants to be better. And I think it's important for us to acknowledge that we want to be better because we know that we're not going to do relationships perfectly. And the reason why we're not, we know that our relationships aren't going to be perfect is because I'm involved and you're involved and your husband's involved, right? And your wife's involved, and your kids are involved, and your friends are involved, and your family is involved. And we can admit it this morning that we are not perfect, and we know that they're not perfect, and so we know we're not going to do it perfectly. In fact, I have come to know that there are only two people who have ever lived that have ever done relationships perfectly. The first is obvious. His name is Jesus. God in the flesh, who lived a sinless life but took on sin. To forgive you, to forgive me, and then resurrected from the grave so that we may have life. Jesus did relationships perfectly. And then the other person that did relationships perfectly sits in the second row every Sunday. Her name is Alice Barham, and she does relationships perfectly. And and the reason why I know this is because Virgil told me that she does relationships perfectly, right? Right. You guys have been married for 50 plus years, correct, right? And, and the secret to marriage, according to Virgil, is, fellas, pay attention, just tell your wife that she's perfect. That's how you can last long in marriage. I know we didn't do a week on that, but that is really important for you to hang on to. The truth is, is we're not going to do these things perfectly, right? But we can step into our relationships powerfully. And I want to show you how in this final conversation in this series today. I wanna share a a true story from the Hebrew scriptures from the Old Testament in the Bible. And it's a story that's really famous. And so even if you're not a church person, you might be aware of this story. It's the story of a, a man named Daniel who spent the night in the lion's den, not by choice, but because he was forced to go into the lion's den. And the reason why I chose this conversation for this series to end this relationship series is because doesn't it feel like sometimes in relationship we're fighting lions? Doesn't it feel like that? Doesn't it feel like, parents, I know that it feels like that, right? It feels like sometimes somebody unleashed little lion cubs in your house and you're trying to figure out whose kids these are and will they come and pick them up, right? Or maybe in your relationship with your spouse or significant other. You feel like you're fighting each other all the time. It feels like you're stuck in a pit. And there's something that Daniel did that was so powerful, that seems so simple, but yet it's an invitation to you and to me to step into our relationships in a very powerful way. And so I wanna invite you, if you have a Bible with you or if you have access to the Bible app, I wanna invite you to turn to Daniel's letter, Daniel's document in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter one, starting in verse one. If you didn't bring a Bible with you or you don't have access to the Bible app, we will have the verses on the screen for you as well. But Daniel chapter one, starting in verse one. As you're turning there, let me set the scene for you. Daniel is a teenager when we first get introduced to him. He is somebody that is in exile. He has been kidnapped from his homeland and brought into Babylon. And this might seem really shocking to our system in our world in 2023, but not for the Israelites, not for the people of God. Because if you've spent any time reading through the Old Testament, what you'll find is that they often were not living in their homeland. They were living in exile. They were kidnapped and brought into a different nation. And there were a lot of different reasons for that. Each time there was a reason, but in this particular moment, Daniel's living in exile. And we know this because that's how his story gets introduced in Daniel chapter one, verse one, and it reads this way. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. They, They came and dominated it. And the goal was always to leave nothing, to take everything and to take everyone. And the king ordered Ashpenaz, who is the lead official of his army and of his kingdom, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Daniel was included in that group of people. What the king wanted was the best of the best, and he got really specific about who he wanted to have come and serve him. In verse 4, we read, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude of every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Just a side note, when I first read that, if I was alive during this time, I totally would have been kidnapped. I just want you to know. And in fact, I look at some of the dudes in this room right now, and ladies, you married up. We all totally would have been kidnapped. By the way, there are some great beards at Active Church. I just want you to know. And so when you see that, acknowledge it and then move on, all right? So (laughs) then he gets really specific, the king to Ashpenaz, and the goal of his being specific, is to strip the identity of anybody that's going from the nation of Israel into the nation of Babylon. Their goal was to take away everything that you held on to that made you unique and to build you into their image. So whatever image you held before, their goal was to strip that from you and to build you into the image of a Babylonian, the image of the king. And so Ashpenaz was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. They would talk like us and read like us and think like us. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, that they would eat like us and they would be physically designed like us. However they wanted them to look is the goal of all of this. And then it would take some time. They were to be trained for three years. And then after that time, they were to enter into the king's service. So, again, the goal look like us, sound like us, think like us, talk like us, read like us, live like us, eat like us, be like us. Nothing from your past could be held on to. You are not unique. And we are stripping anything that you have held on to. The image that you were made, we are taking that away from you. And we want you to become like us, all the way down to even your name. And we read in verse 6 that among those who were chosen from Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These were friends of Daniel. And the chief official, Ashpenaz, gave them new names. Daniel, his new name was Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Michel, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Here's what you need to know about all of these friends, but specifically about Daniel. Is that Daniel lived in such a way that was attractive? I know he says that he was a part of the good-looking group, but that's not what I'm talking about when I talk about being attractive. He lived in a way that caught the attention of people around him. And I don't think that they had language to describe how he was living. The the words that we would use at Active, the words that the scriptures would use is that but I, I enjoy being around this guy. I don't know what it is, but I appreciate being friends with this guy. I don't know what it is. There's something unique about this guy. It's like he's a light in the world or a star that shines in the universe. Daniel knew who he was, and he knew who he belonged to. And what's so interesting is that at this point, Daniel's a teenager, but he began to really understand that in the best possible way as a teenage boy, which is why we read that in in spite of all of this invitation to strip you of your identity and to make you into the image of a Babylonian, we read that Daniel resolved not to defile himself. He resolved to not defile himself, but he did it in such a way that it would catch my attention. If Daniel was alive today in the world that we live in right now, it would catch your attention too. Because Daniel, resolving to not defile himself, didn't mean that Daniel was going to throw a fit if he didn't get his way. It didn't mean that he would demand his rights if he wasn't going to get his way. It didn't mean that he would call his senator and ask for a law to be passed if he wasn't going to get his way. You know what Daniel did? He earned the respect of those that were in charge of him because he lived in an honorable way. Honored God by honoring them, even though them didn't want anything to do with what he believed. They just felt honored and respected, and in fact, they began to admire Daniel. And so when he saw that they were trying to strip his identity and strip the image of God out of him, Daniel decided that he was going to, get this, Ask for permission to do the things that he had done before. Because of the way that he lived and because of the way that he spoke to people and because of the posture that he held, these leaders began to say yes. And it might have been confusing for them. Listen, I know that I have these rules that we have to place on you and place over you. But Daniel, there's just something about you and your friends that causes me to want to say yes to you. Sure, as long as you don't look unhealthy, sure, eat what you want. As long as you aren't mistreating and dishonoring those around you and dishonoring our nation and our king, sure, live how you want. Daniel lived in a rhythm that honored God and the people around him that didn't even believe in God. Their attention was captured by this man of God. Now those are the leaders that are close, but there was uh, another level of leadership and these leaders were frustrated with Daniel because they saw that Daniel was not being made into their image. And what I find interesting is that humanity doesn't necessarily change no matter what season or year or time it really is. Many of you are familiar with the story of Jesus and how the Pharisees, they couldn't stop him and so they decided to kill him. And what's interesting about the story of Daniel and other stories in the Old Testament leading up to the story of Jesus is that when humanity gets exhausted by the people who are living in a way that's attractive and irresistible, the way of the kingdom of God, if they can't stop them, then they inevitably go to, let's just kill him. Let's just take his life. But they knew that they just couldn't kill him. So they, they got really creative. They knew Daniel was somebody that spoke with God, talked with God, honored God. And he did this regularly, intentionally. And so they created a law and came together and asked the king to sign the law. We read that the royal administrators and prefects and satraps and advisors and governors, you know that it was government because there's so many people here, right? It feels like a waste of resource, but that's a whole other conversation. And it says that they all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human during the next 30 days except the king shall be thrown into the lion's den, And at the time, the king was now King Darius, and this fed his ego. And so we read that Darius put the decree into writing. But what's interesting about Darius is that he was captured and admired by who Daniel is and what Daniel does. They were friends. He respected him. And little did he know that the law that he had just signed that he can't reverse would be a law that would actually affect his friend who he admired. And because of this, Daniel gets arrested. And the penalty was a very a very terrible penalty. It was a death sentence. We read in Daniel chapter six, verse 16, that the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. But before he went in, There's this unique interaction that the king has with Daniel. And he says to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. I doubt that Darius has had this conversation with anybody prior to this. Anybody that's being thrown into the lion's den is not somebody that you're hoping would actually make it through the lion's den, at least up until this point. You don't have a lion's den if you're expecting people to survive. Are you with me? And so he has a conversation with Daniel before they toss him in. And he says to Daniel, I- I'm sorry that we're here. But there's something about you, Daniel, that has caught my attention. And I respect you. But I know that it's not just you. Like there is layers to you. You say that it's God, I'll agree with you. But what you have shown me is that you have given your life to this God. And so my hope is that this God who you've given your life to would rescue you, would save you, that you would survive this, knowing that nobody has survived the lion's den before this. And then we read some detail that a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation may not be changed, meaning that if they knew the lid was taken off before it should have been taken off, they would know that somebody had broken him out or somebody had violated the law. This was something that you see all throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, they sealed the tomb of Jesus for the very reason so that they would know if somebody broke the seal and tried to steal the body. They were afraid of these things. And then the king returned to his palace and he spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. No Netflix, no Hulu, no YouTube, no Fortnite. I mean, this guy, you could tell how much this weighed upon his heart. And then we read that he could not sleep. And then he does something again, strangely unique, At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And I'm believing that, again, this is the first time that he has done this. Because anybody else that they've thrown into the lion's den, he probably didn't care about. And there's a little narrative note that we'll read in just a minute that tells me that it wouldn't even have been possible for him to have a conversation with anybody that was thrown into the lion's den. Can you imagine being somebody that's standing over this pit Somebody that you love and admire and respect who has given you those same things back, and now he's desperately wanting to know if he made it through the night knowing that there's a zero out of zero chance. But then we read that Daniel answers, and his first line gives you an indication of how much respect and honor he had for people that didn't see the world the way that he saw the world, that didn't believe the way that he believed. But you can see that God is leading his life and captured his heart because the first thing that he says is, may the king live forever. Not, yo, homie, you threw me in here and I'm still alive. So you best be getting the ladder or something and getting me out of here right now. And I better have some good food and some Netflix and I better have a whole lot of apologies when I come up topside, all right? Like, that would be, that would be me. That might be you. You're, you're probably better than me. But I would be, like, so upset. I don't even like cats and you made me spend the night here, right? Let alone put my life on the line. But Daniel's response is, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel to shut the mouths of the lions, and they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done anything wrong before you, your majesty. I like that Daniel just lays out some truth there. And if you know the rest of the story, you know what happens next. If you don't, the rest of the story is pretty extraordinary. They pull Daniel out, they celebrate then the king gathers all of the people who created this law and had him sign it and they throw them into the lion's den. And we know that this is the first time that the king has ever spoken to somebody who has been in the lion's den and survived because we read in Daniel's letter that before the leaders even hit the ground, the lions tear them apart. But it brings us to the most important moment in the life of Daniel and the most important thing that we could pay attention to because there's something that Daniel does that teaches us about what we can do in our lives and in the relationships we are in with one another. And it's a question that I wanna ask you, question I want you to consider. How did Daniel survive the lion's den? And all of the good Christians in the room and online would go, well, Pastor Mike, uh, I've read the scriptures, and what I found, and you just read it out loud to us, is that the Lord sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lions. Do you hear me? Do I get a gold star? Are you proud of me? Right? Like, we would all have that answer because it's written right there, and that would be correct. That's what happened. But how did it happen? How did Daniel make it through? And the answer is actually not found in the Lion King narrative, the Lion King, the, lion, the Lion's Pit. <laughs> I think I've said that a couple of times and you guys were like respectful, but you can laugh when I make mistakes. It's okay. But the, this Lion's Pit narrative is, is what happened in that moment. But how did he make it through? The answer is actually found early on in Daniel. Daniel chapter 6 verse 10 three times a day, Daniel got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, his God, just as he's done before. Friends, I want you to hear me. And if you miss everything else, that's okay, but don't miss this. Daniel's faith was not formed in the lion's den. Daniel's faith was formed long before he got to the lion's den because he bent the knee to Almighty God. Daniel didn't find out that God was faithful in the lion's den. Daniel believed that long before the lion's den because he bent the knee to Almighty God. And what we can learn from Daniel and how it impacts our relationships is very simply this that we don't need to wait until we get into the lion's den to invite God and the power of God to do what only God can do in us and through us in our relationships. Why is it, why is it that we always wait until we're in the pit to say, God, help me? Why is it that we always wait until we're on the cusp of divorce to ask God to redeem and heal our relationship? Why are we always on the brink of breaking up and then asking God, could you reconcile this? And you know what's so good about God is he hears you, he responds to you, even if you wait until you're in the pit, even if you wait until you're in the lion's den. But what Daniel teaches us is that we don't have to wait until we're in the lion's den and our faith doesn't have to be formed in the lion's den and that we don't have to discover that God is faithful in the lion's den because what Daniel teaches us is you and I have access to the power of God long before we get into the lion's den when we choose to bend the knee to almighty God. And friends, if there's one last piece of wisdom that you and I need to hold on to when it comes to our personal relationship with God and our relationships with each other, whether we're dating, engaged, married, parents, friends, bosses, employees, that we can invite the power of God to do what only God can do in our relationships when we bend the knee to our heavenly Father, because God is powerful. And I don't know about you, but when the scriptures, Jesus specifically says that there is nothing that's impossible for our God, I tend to believe him. And when, when you and I decide that this is something we will do, we will actually experience the wisdom of God because when you seek God's wisdom, your relationship will experience God's power. Now now I know that for some of us, the pushback to this conversation might just be, well, I've been praying, but nothing's happened. Or I don't know how to pray. I'm not Daniel. Daniel. And so what do I do then? And I think that's a really great question. Here's what you need to know about Daniel is that he was just like you and just like me. That Daniel probably didn't know what to say, how to say it, what to pray and how to pray it, He looked for all of the different ways that he could pray, probably listen to other people. He's like, how many times should I say blessed when I'm praying, right? Like how many times do I need to have these words in the conversation? And the reality is, is there's no set formula for how we approach almighty God, but God wants us to approach him in surrender when we bend the knee and then God will do what God will do. Perhaps the thing that we don't know is actually something that could be the most helpful for us today. That the Jewish men and women didn't always necessarily pray their own personal prayers. But they actually would use the prayers that the men and women who came before them wrote down. The prayers that they would sing out loud. The Psalms, which we find in the center of the scriptures. So perhaps, for Daniel when he bent the knee to Almighty God three times a day, perhaps these were the words that he was praying. Search me, God, and know my heart, and test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. May the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Maybe he prayed this next prayer, this next psalms when he was in the lion's den. I waited patiently for the Lord and he turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit pit. Out of the mud and the mire, he set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Perhaps these were the words that led Daniel. Perhaps that last prayer is why Daniel could have said to the king, may you live forever and not something sarcastic and mean because the Lord rescued him and he knew that he would be faithful because long before he was in the pit, he was on his knee in surrender before Almighty God. Friends, I know that you're like me, that you want all of the help that you can get in your life when it comes to the relationships that you are in. I know that you want every good book and you want every good thought and you want every good word and keep seeking and keep asking and keep knocking because those things are helpful. But hear me, they do not carry with them the power of God. The power of God begins when we bend the knee to Almighty God. When we decide that we want His word and His work to do a good work in us, and we utilize the wisdom that He has given men and women through across all centuries and we apply those things but we start and we finish with almighty God because only God can make a hopeless relationship holy. Only God can take what's hopeless in your life and make it holy. And he does this through the power of his Holy Spirit when you trust in him. Don't you want the power of God in your life? Don't you want the power of God for those in your life? And don't you want the power of God for your relationships in your life? You don't have to want it and desire it and think about how you can get it. You have access to it when you bend the knee to your heavenly father. This is why we can make it through the moments that we feel like we can't make it through. When we bend the knee to God, we invite the presence of God into our relationships. Maybe this is the word that you needed. Maybe this is the thought that you've been craving. Maybe you've heard everything we've talked about over the last few weeks, and it's been helpful. It's been inspiring. You've done those things, but you haven't seen the power of God move. Maybe Maybe it's because you need to be reminded you need to bend the knee. You need to bend the knee to your heavenly father. Because when we bend the knee to God, we invite the presence of God into our relationships. And And I'm convinced and I hope that today you are even more convinced than you were before that a relationship without prayer is a relationship without power. So I want to share two things with you and then I want to give you an invitation. The first thing is I want to share something with you that's personal to you. And then I want to share something with you that could impact your relationships. And it's following the lead of our brothers and sisters who came before us, the Jewish men and women who honored God long before Jesus showed up on earth. I want to follow their lead. And so I want to focus on you personally for a moment. And I want to give you some words that we sung earlier that perhaps could be the best words for you to start your day and to remind you to bend the knee to your heavenly father. There was a song that we sang earlier today together. A classic hymn is what it's called. And it's something that has been sung in the church for at least a hundred years. And you might be familiar with it, but if you're not, imagine starting every day and finishing every day with these powerful words as your prayer. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him and in his presence daily live. There's nothing magical about these words. You don't even have to say them the way that they are printed out on the screen for you. But these words are words that can be an indication of the posture of your heart. And friends, I gotta tell you, as a husband and as a dad, as a friend and as a pastor, the best place for me in order to lead well and love well, the best place for me is to meet my heavenly father on my knee, to bend the knee to almighty God and to surrender every anxiety and every fear and every frustration and every moment that I want to control, to surrender every sin and every struggle every dishonoring word and action because my Jesus has taught me that he cares for me like he cares for you. And we can cast all of our cares upon him, that we can lay the things down that we carry at the foot of the cross because that's what the cross does, that's what Jesus does and that's why the resurrection matters. So maybe for you, this personal prayer can be something that stirs up an awakening in you to help you to be better, but not just be better because you're, you're, you have these tools in your tool belt, but because you have your heavenly father's power within you. And then as you think about your relationships, married, dating, engaged, friends, parents, teenagers, maybe, maybe the words of Habakkuk could be inspiring and challenging to you. I know that when you showed up on Sunday today, you were like, I hope Mike talks about Habakkuk. I hope that we learn about Habakkuk today. Some of you are like, are you you cussing at me, Frisch? Like, what are you saying to me? Habakkuk was a prophet during the time of exile for the Israelites. And the reason why he stands head and shoulders above a lot of the other minor prophets in the scriptures is because the words of Habakkuk were words that the first church would pray when they were hopeful that the resurrection would not just stay within them, but would get to the world around them. These were the words that they would pray over their relationships and the future relationships that they would step into. I have heard all about you, Lord, and I am filled with awe by your amazing works in this time of our deep need, help us again As you did in years gone by. God, would you do today what you've done yesterday? God, would you heal today like you healed yesterday? God, would you redeem, renew, and restore like you redeemed and you renewed and you restored yesterday? Can you imagine praying both of these prayers? God, I surrender all. would you do what only you can do in me and through me? Friends, this is what happens when we bend the knee. This is what happens when we tap into the power that only God can bring. And this is what we do when we are in hopeless situations and this is what we do before we arrive in a hopeless situation. So may you not pray just because you're in the lion's den, but may you bend the knee long before you get there because you know that there may be a moment where you will be there and you're gonna need the power of God to rescue and redeem and to bring salvation. May you not pray because things are hard and heavy, but may you pray because you are loved by your heavenly father and that you need your heavenly father's power to do what only God can do in you and through you. This is why we decided to end this conversation with baptism because what baptism is an indication of is that we have bent to the knee to our heavenly father in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That we're not announcing that we're perfect. We already know that we're not, it's Jesus and Alice. They're the only perfect people that we know, right? But perhaps we can actually take a new direction. Perhaps we can do things better because we have the power of God in us. And perhaps, This is something that we shouldn't keep silent or quiet or private. That perhaps when Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my father in heaven, perhaps he meant that. And So why why wait to acknowledge Jesus as Lord publicly? Why wait to live in surrender tomorrow when you can do it today? Wouldn't it be a a beautiful thing to see husbands and wives get baptized together today? Not just because they're in the lion's den, but because they wanna fight together for something better when they arrive in the lion's den. Wouldn't it be beautiful if we saw moms and dads and their kids get baptized today? If your kids are old enough and understand this decision, the reality of their sin and Jesus on the cross and through the resurrection, then I would say that they're ready. If they're not young, old enough, and they don't quite understand it, then next week, child dedications would be the perfect time for you to stand here and have the church pray over you. And then when your kids are ready and they understand this, and it's not because you ask them, it's because they actually grab a hold of it, then we get them baptized. But maybe perhaps they're ready. And maybe today your whole family gets baptized. Maybe friends get baptized because they've been working on reconciling and they just haven't had the power to do it. And maybe today they choose to do it together by choosing to bend the knee to almighty God. Today, I wanna invite you to do something that would indicate that there is something, someone, God's power that's stirring within you. So what I wanna do is I wanna pray some words over you. As I pray, if you're a leader that's gonna be helping with baptisms, you're invited to move. For those planning on getting baptized, if you'll just remain seated for a moment. And then when we're done praying, I'll invite you to stand and we'll give you an invitation to get baptized. But I wanna pray some words over you before we do anything else. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we think about what it means for us To live as people who bend the knee to God, may we not be afraid to make the best possible decision right in front of our face, and it may be the decision to trust in you and to go public with our trust in you through baptism. May we not excuse ourselves from this moment because we feel like we are way too sinful and way too terrible and not even close to perfect. But may we trust that the cross reaches our hearts and souls too. That the work of Jesus isn't just for them, it's for all of us. May we be people that live bending the knee in surrender to God because we want the power of God to do what only God can do. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. And together we say amen and amen and amen.